I'd like to mention that these are my wife's specs. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I muted myself, which makes a change. <laughs> Just before I start, um, there are some activities for younger people over there. There is a sermon bingo for the slightly older ones who might want to do it with their parents where you're ticking off words that appear in the sermon. Uh, there's a word search, there's some colouring, uh, there's uh, mazes. If you want to, just while I get myself ready, find what you want to keep you busy. But I will actually want you to help me out a bit because I've got some questions I want answering. Right, so uh, just before I begin, um, I'm just going to say a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your spirit guides us. So Lord, take these words of mine and through your spirit, use them as you will to your glory. Amen. Well, today we're looking at the fourth beatitude. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And what we actually take from those words depends on what we understand those words actually mean. So I want to give you an example. We've just sung, The Lord's My Shepherd, um, I'll Not Want. Now, when I was a schoolboy, which is difficult for you to imagine, when I was a schoolboy and we used to sing, The Lord's My Shepherd, I'll Not Want, I used to think this. I used to think that it meant this. The Lord's my shepherd, but I don't really need him. And anyway, I'm not a sheep, so what do I need a shepherd for? Okay? Uh, when in actual fact... The phrase really means, if the Lord is my shepherd, that is my guide, then I don't need anything else. Our own experience of life doesn't always enable us to understand, to grasp the meaning of things. Now, if you look at this week's character, it looks like that person is on a mission to get somewhere in a hurry. They're on a bit of a journey. So I want you to imagine that you're going on a long journey, over 200 miles. It's going to take a while. You're either in a car or on a train. You're going to visit relatives or go on holiday. 
Now, I'm going to ask you what you're going to take with you. I'm not interested in the contents of your luggage. What, what do you take with you for the journey? Now, that will depend on how old you are. Um, and I wonder what uh, parents take for the journey for their children. Uh, when I was were young, we used to listen to, well, I was slightly older, we listened to tapes of Harry Potter, Dad's Army, we used to have nursery rhymes that went on forever. So what do you take with you for the journey? When I recently went, when Liz and I recently went on a train journey down to the south coast, I took a nice big fat book to read. And I want to ask you, what do you do on that journey if you feel peckish or you fancy a drink? What do you do? And this is where I stop answering my own questions. What do you do? Go to the buffet car. Brilliant. Somebody said wait for the trolley to be pushed around. <laughs> okay. Do you really, really... And, and if you're in a car, what do you do? You stop at a, a restaurant or a, a services. Okay? Now, that was hard, getting an answer out of you. <laughs> this next bit's going to be even harder. But you've got to, you've got to come with me. All right? <clears throat> so now I want you to imagine you are in secondary school. All right? Now, that's easier for some than others, but I'm not being rude. It's a long time since I was actually in secondary school as a pupil. Um, so you're in secondary school, and you've got yourself involved in the Duke of Edinburgh's award. Now, this award involves learning a new skill. You might want to learn the trombone, for example. That wouldn't annoy your parents. <laughs> it involves volunteering helping out other people, and most importantly for us today, thinking about journeys, it involves going on an expedition. And that's a long walk, lasting three or four days, along footpaths away from the main roads, in the countryside, a bit like walking over the moors and hills of the Peak District, but you're going for three or four days. Uh, uh, you're going to be with four friends, and there are a couple of rules, very serious rules. You can't just stop off at a shop to buy what you want. You can't go into a cafe when you feel hungry or thirsty. Okay? You're not allowed to do that. You can't use your mobile phone to show you the way or any other bit of electronic equipment. Not allowed to do that. And you've got to camp out overnight. Those are the rules. And having been somebody that actually helped out on DV, trust me, they are checked clearly and people who break the rules are taken off the expedition. They have to wait for another go. So bear that in mind, three or four days, you can't go and buy anything, you can't stop off, what are you going to take with you? Pot noodles. Pot noodles. <laughs> Fair enough. A map. Water. 
a tent. You cook sausages. Okay. Anything else? Toilet paper. I'm not going there. A sleeping bag. Right. Of all of those things, what three are the most important? Water, food, and a map. A map. Water, food, and a map. Those are the absolute essentials. Water, food, and a map. Okay, now our experience doesn't enable us to understand really what it is to hunger and thirst in the sense that Jesus used those words. We're in a time when a drought's been declared in parts of the country. But we still take for granted that when we turn on the tap, the water's going to be there. Okay, And we continue to be extravagant in our use of water, even when there's a drought. But half the world's population have experience, real experience, of what having water shortages at some time during the year. A time when water is so precious and cannot be wasted. In the Old Testament, water is a symbol of salvation. It was so precious that Jeremiah wrote this about those who trust in the Lord. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water Such trees are not bothered by heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Psalm 23 reminds us that the Lord leads us by still, still waters. We have no experience, no experience of what it is to hunger. Can you remember a time when you hadn't eaten yesterday or the day before and you don't know where your next meal is coming from? In many countries where water is short, there's also a lack of food. Food and water shortages tend to go together. Now, the word for hunger and thirst that Jesus used are not words of somebody who's casually hungry or fancies a drink. They refer to someone who is starving, who is dying of thirst. Living in the Middle East, where water was scarce, and travel arduous, Jesus' original audiences would have actual experience of what it meant to hunger and thirst after food and water. They could fully understand what he was saying because travel took three or four days 
And you might go through desert where there's no water and no food. They fully understood it. And when a person is desperately hungry or desperately thirsty, nothing else is going to satisfy them. Nothing. Not a beautiful sunrise or sunset. Not a lovely four-bedroomed house. Not a luxury holiday. Not entertainment or a computer game. Only food and water will do. And Jesus is saying, we are blessed, we experience the best life when we have that same all-consuming passion for righteousness. When we have a continual hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus promises us that we will be filled. The problem is, What is righteousness? In ancient Judaism, righteousness meant this, being freed from a criminal charge, being cleared of blame, being restored to a right relationship. The righteous are those who maintain right relationships with God and with the people around them. A right relationship. Every relationship makes claims upon the way we are to behave. Righteousness is the human response to the saving act of God. It's our response to receiving the verdict of innocent as a gracious gift from God, Bought, from, bought for us by the death of his son, Jesus Christ. So, what should that response be? And the prophet Micah clarified righteousness. He, he gave an idea of what it actually means. And Ian is going to come and read a short section from the book of Micah to us. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now at the time of the prophet Micah, the national leaders of Israel and the majority of the population were not living in a way that honored God. It wasn't okay to love God and yet allow economic injustices or to practice dishonesty or to commit immorality. 
But Israel was concerned about what they could give to God in response to his mighty saving acts. And they were thinking along the lines of what valuable things they could offer, how many animal sacrifices, how much valuable oil would keep them in a right relationship with God. And Micah said, no, none of that is what God wants. God has shown you what is good, how God treated you, in your time of need, is how God wants you to behave towards each other. Micah said, act in the same way that God acted for you. Do justice. That is, do what is right. Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. In the Old Testament, Righteousness is showing mercy and compassion to the outcast, the oppressed, the poor, the weak. In short, anyone who's vulnerable. The gracious gift of having acceptance before God bought for us by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ requires a response from us. We are to live in ways which please God. Our response ought to be modelled on the way that God has treated us in our sin. Now the worldly understanding of righteousness goes something like this. It's nothing more than sticking to a set of moral principles that are publicly acceptable So someone who keeps the law, follows the accepted standards of the community and lives a creditable life will gain the respect of the community. But for Christians, righteousness describes a relationship granted as a gift of God. We're not righteous to gain favour with anybody, least of all our local community but to show our thanks to God and maintain our relationship with him. Our only hope for salvation is Christ's perfect work and sacrifice for our sins. When God resurrected Jesus, he was saying, I accept my son's sacrifice on your behalf. Nothing we can do will earn our salvation We can't earn salvation through our good works. But our righteous deeds are the fruit of our salvation, of already being made acceptable before God. Those whose relationships with God have been restored through Jesus Christ should really want to serve God and others with love and mercy. Knowing, knowing that through Jesus we have received God's grace. Do we have that all-consuming passion for right relationships, not only with God, but with our other people we live and work with? 
with our wider families and with others in our community? Do we really strive to correct injustice and to see wrongs righted? Our Christian life is like a journey which the Lord guides our ways in righteousness. The Bible is our map, our guide. But perhaps these extracts from the poem What Will Matter by Michael Josephson might give us a quick overview of the route. What will matter is not what you bought, but what you built. Not what you got, but what you gave. What will matter is not your success, but your significance. What will matter is not what you learned, but what you taught. What will matter is every act of integrity, compassion, courage, or sacrifice that enriched, empowered, or encouraged others. What will matter is not your competence, but your character. Living a life that matters doesn't happen by accident. It's not a matter of circumstance, but of choice. Choose to live a life that matters. Or maybe this. It appears in the Street Bible, written by Rob Lacey, and this is how he describes the fourth beatitude. Those living the best life are the people who only want to do the right things, like it's their food and drink. Their good news in tray will be piled high. Every day, prompted by hunger and thirst, every living creature looks for food and water, hoping to be satisfied. Hunger and thirst are a sign of life. This beatitude makes it clear that the blessed, the people living the best life, are those who strive for righteousness, those whose concerns for the needs of others is as all-consuming and never-ending as their daily yearning to satisfy hunger and thirst. And if we have that passion, God will satisfy us. Amen. I'm just going to end in a prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come before you in innocence, with the slate wiped clean. Lord, we do not deserve that, but we thank you that we can have a relationship with you. Help each one of us, Lord, to live in ways which please you, rather than necessarily pleasing ourselves all the time. Help us to make the choice to live a life that matters. Amen.